Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Good morning again, everybody. Honored to be able to share God's Word with you today. Uh, say a prayer for your pastor in about five minutes he's going to be starting his third sermon of the day in northern Virginia preaching out of town today uh, so say a prayer for him I'm sure he is going to be exhausted by the time he gets home today after preaching three times uh, so keep him in your thoughts and prayers today uh, that the Lord would be with him um, but let's dive into the word of the Lord today on August the 13th we're going to be starting a three-week series called Kingdom in which we're going to be studying some of the passages from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I'm uh, really excited to be able to share those messages with you. Uh, but today, we're going to make, uh, take a sneak peek maybe into the series by beginning where Jesus began his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount 2,000 years ago. If you will, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Before we read our passage today, uh, I just want to give a little background into... Uh, what was happening that day, what was going on when Jesus began to speak. It's important to understand as we began to look at it, Jesus' theme for this teaching was that day particularly was the kingdom of heaven. Now many of us have an idea of what I mean when I say kingdom, just as the hearers that day had an idea of kingdom. It's shaped by our knowledge and experience here on the earth. The kingdoms of this world are built around money and ideologies and military might, conquest. They are built around dominance and many times overwhelming force. They're built around ambition and desire and political agendas and socioeconomic ideologies. In our individual lives, there are many people who are building up for themselves their own kingdom through wealth or the accumulation of real estate or businesses or status or popularity or fame. You name it, people will use it to build up their own kingdom. So as Jesus began his teaching that day, he takes a concept that they are familiar with, uh, a concept that we are familiar with, and he builds upon it by challenging everything they ever believed about how you build a kingdom and what that kingdom should look like. They had an idea. They understood the concept. They had seen kingdoms come in and dominate them, first the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, Everyone jockeying really for a small piece of land that opened trade routes to Asia, Africa, and Europe. They longed for the day that a kingdom would rise up and kick out all the kingdoms that had occupied them and held them hostage in their own homes, robbed them of their wealth and resources, and created hardships in their own land. So with that knowledge already hovering in the area, Jesus begins his teaching to all who had gathered to listen that day, and during his teaching... He shares with those in attendance that day and really with each of us who get the opportunity to read the word of God some 2,000 years later, principles of life within his kingdom. And this is important. The idea that Jesus had for a kingdom and the ideas they had for a kingdom are two totally separate ideals. They are expecting military might and Jesus had different plans. He deals with the character of the citizens of his kingdom. He deals with the responsibilities of the citizens of his kingdom. He gives a model for prayer, which is really the communication system of his kingdom. He commands us to share the message of his kingdom. And he commands that members of his kingdom are to be fruitful and to bear much fruit. Now, when you understand that Jesus' primary goal in the Sermon on the Mount is to establish and maintain not an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom that is alive in the hearts of the citizens of his kingdom, it makes the message come alive much differently. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, and we'll dive in where Jesus did. So Now when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. 
He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this is Jesus' introduction. Isn't that great? I'm just going to let you know up front, fellas. It's, it, could get, it could get bad. You're going to be persecuted. Now, the first section of this Sermon on the Mount is a passage that I just read, and it's called, for many of us, we've heard it referred to as the Beatitudes. The word Beatitude means not had a bad attitude, but it means supreme blessedness or happiness. The term Beatitude is applied to this passage because each principle is preceded by the word blessed. But it is important to understand as we begin our lesson today, Jesus' theme for the Sermon on the Mount was the kingdom of heaven. Within Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he shares with those in attendance that day and with each of us principles of what his life was going to be like if you were a member of his kingdom. And that's where we get the title for our message today. We're calling it Kingdom Blessings. Now, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. Some would translate the word blessed as happy, but so... Think of it like this, happy are the poor in spirit, happy are those who mourn. I don't believe these blessings are equipped to just be the word happy right there. Uh, these blessings that Jesus shared go beyond mere happiness. Happiness is an emotional state, but if you are truly blessed by God, it goes beyond mere emotion, and it's something that's settled deep within your soul. Happiness is a reaction to positive things that are happening around you. But the true blessings of God extend beyond the state of emotion into the very existence of, your, uh, of why you're here. You operate from a position that is completely different than just happiness. You operate from a position of joy. Joy remains even when the happy moment has passed. I can be sad because someone in my family has died. But I can also have joy in knowing that they are now with the Lord. So when we talk about the Beatitudes, these statements of blessing, you must first realize that they are blessings that bring joy to the citizens of the kingdom. Why? Because as a member of the kingdom of heaven, it is to be in the presence of the king of this kingdom. And the Bible says that in his presence is fullness of joy. So if I am a member of the kingdom, that means I am surrounded by the, the life of the king of my kingdom and in his presence is fullness of joy. Just being in the presence of the king of this kingdom should create joy in my life. And so joy is a byproduct that is produced in us because we choose to become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We've seen some people walking around looking like they've been sucking lemons and persimmons every day of the week for the majority of their life. And I just want to say it's time for you to get in the kingdom because you're obviously not hanging around the king because in his presence is fullness of joy. Now today, my goal is to answer two questions. What characteristics are required of the citizens of the kingdom of, this, of heaven? And what benefits do they receive when these characteristics are present? So let's begin with the first question. What characteristics are required of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven? What qualities must we have that will ensure that I am a citizen of his kingdom? From the Beatitudes, I believe we can discover eight characteristics or qualities that must be found in us if we are to be members of the kingdom of heaven. What qualities do the citizens of this kingdom have? I believe the first one is they are poor in spirit. They're poor in spirit. Now, some of us have read that passage as blessed are the poor and just stopped and assumed that meant me. But I don't want to take that passage from you if you're in a financially tight spot this morning. I don't want to remove that from you, but that's not referring to financial means at all. Like, there are other scriptures that we can talk about, like, you know, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We can talk about that one if, you're, if that's what you thought this meant. But when he says blessed are the poor in spirit, 
He's actually referring to something completely different. Barnes' commentary says to be poor in spirit is to have a humble opinion of ourselves, to be sensible that we are sinners, and to have no righteousness of our own, to understand that salvation is only by the rich grace and mercy of God. To be poor in spirit is to feel conviction about our spiritual bankruptcy. Before coming to Christ, we are spiritually impoverished. We have no ability on our own to deserve his mercy and grace. To be poor in spirit is an acknowledgement that we are in a position of need. We need a Savior. Can you say amen? amen? If you could do it on your own, you already would have. We need a Savior. We need someone to spiritually rescue us because on our own, we have no solution for the sin problem. We have no way to get free from the kingdom of darkness that we have been born into. We need someone to rescue us. We are spiritually and morally bankrupt in need of a Savior. The tax collector in Luke 18, 13 is really a perfect example of someone who's poor in spirit. He's standing in the temple, the tax collector, and he, he stood at a distance. The Bible says, Luke 18, 13, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God always accepts those who recognize their spiritual need. Those who are humble enough to admit their need for the king of this kingdom's mercy are allowed to dwell in the kingdom. The opposite of the poor in spirit would be the proud of heart. Take a look at the Pharisee in Luke 18, 11, just before we find out how the tax collector acted. Notice, acted. Notice what the Pharisee says. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Well, thank you that you fast. Thank you that you tithe. That's great. But you got a bigger problem. Pride has consumed you. You need to recognize that you are not where you need to be. You need to get rid of the pride and recognize that you too, just like the tax collector, are a sinner. And you need to be saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I thank God for the truth of his word. I thank God that he has revealed himself to us. But in the abundance of blessings in our life, we cannot afford to become puffed up in pride and arrogance. We must remain humble poor in spirit, if we are to be a member of the kingdom of heaven. So what's the benefit of being poor in spirit? The Bible says in Matthew 5 and 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To those who can acknowledge their need for Jesus, those who can say, you know what, in my, on my own I am spiritually bankrupt, I am in need of you, they are invited to the dance, they are invited into the kingdom. The citizens of the kingdom are made up of people who have made the decision that I can't make it on my own. I need something bigger than me to come in and rescue me. And that's who's invited into the kingdom. Jesus calls whosoever will to come and drink of the waters of life freely. But it at least takes an acknowledgement that I'm thirsty in order for you to get that water to drink. How many people do you know who brag about being self-sufficient and self-made, did it all on their own? They, had a hard, they have a, always have a hard time acknowledging their need for Christ. But coming to Jesus has always required an acknowledgement that I am at a deficit, desperately in need of him. All right, another quality. Let's move off of poor in spirit because some of y'all think I want you to give up all your money and swear a uh, uh, vow of poverty. Another quality of the citizens of the kingdom is that they mourn. Now, again, this is not saying happy and joyful are those who cry a lot for they shall be comforted. And for those of you that have lost loved ones and mourn that loss, while Jesus is with you through your grief, this is not the verse that tells us that. If it brought comfort to you during your time of loss, I'm thankful for that. But this is not intended to be a verse that deals with grief. At least not the grief for the loss of a loved one. This is about the kingdom of heaven. So this particular blessing to those who mourn is really referring to those who mourn over their own spiritual poverty and spiritual condition. Their sinful condition that is in need of a savior, they mourn over it. It's recognition again of the fact that without Christ, we are unable to spiritually provide for our salvation. We are in need of a savior. David, after being confronted with his sin, his adultery of, with Bathsheba and murder of Uriah, he cries out in anguish and mourning. He says, for I recognize my rebellion, Psalm 51. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. 
you will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. The first two characteristics are really linked together. Being poor in spirit means I'm honest enough to recognize my spiritual ineptness, ineptness and then I'm spiritually ready to mourn over the sinful actions in my life. Those who are truly mournful or sorry over their sinful existence will find a genuine place of repentance. Paul described it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. How many of you know people that are sorry that they got caught? That kind of sorrow doesn't work. It might work in the moment. It might get you back in the good graces of your wife if you do everything perfect after that point. But that's not the kind of sorrow that leads to repentance. Godly sorrow is a mourning over my sinful condition. It's a recognition that I am in need. I am in deficit. I can't do this on my own. And it causes me to weep and mourn over my spiritual condition. That leads to repentance. And when I repent, that doesn't mean I say I'm sorry and I keep on living bad. It means I turn and I begin to live a different way. When we truly recognize that we are poor in spirit, that we are hopeless without a Savior, the acknowledgement of that should cause genuine sorrow, causing us to mourn our sinful condition. And when we do, the Bible says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Those who mourn over their spiritual condition, their sinful existence, Jesus says they will find a place of comfort. If it is true that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents, can you imagine the actions of the Father over one of the people that he died for, acknowledging their sinful condition and mourning with sorrow over the life that they have lived? I just see the Father running from the house, finding a young man down on the road a great distance away. Why? Because blessed are those who mourn because they're going to be comforted. When he saw that man make a turn and coming home, his, the daddy rose up in him and he ran to his boy and began to fall on him with weeping himself. Why? Because he was motivated to repentance at that point and he knew what it would take to bring him back into the house. Sometimes we need to understand that when we, are, when we mourn our sinful existence, guess what? The father responds and he brings comfort into our life. This particular beatitude is really important because when we mourn over our sin, it motivates us to repentance. And when we allow this to continue to work in our life, like Jesus who mourned over Jerusalem because of their sinful existence, when we begin to mourn over the sinful bankruptcy of our world, it also will motivate us to action. Now we'll be motivated to evangelize those that are lost. Why? Because we recognize the need that they have because we also have experienced that same need. And then we're living up to our calling in Christ Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn. They're going to be comforted. Another characteristic of those in the kingdom is that they are meek. Now the word meek means those of a quiet and gentle spirit. The meek are those who would rather suffer injury themselves than to cause harm to somebody else. A lot of times people have mistaken meekness for weakness. When in fact nothing could be farther from the truth. Moses is described in the Bible as the meekest man in the, ever. And yet we know that he was not a weakling. He, he hit a rock with a stick and it split it wide open. He uh, killed somebody because they were hurting his people. He, he, was not a, he wasn't a joke, right? He, he, I mean, he spent, four, he spent a bunch of time in the desert by himself with a bunch of sheep. I mean, I wouldn't want to be in the desert for a day unless I want a bunch of stinky sheep. But he spent years there. This was not a joke. I mean, this man was a real deal. He was strong, but he was meek. A lot of times people have mistaken that, but meekness is birthed not out of weakness, but out of humility. Again, realizing our inability to survive without the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Having recognized the spiritual condition that I am in, spiritually bankrupt, poor in spirit, genuine sorrow over my condition, it begins a work and a change in me, and it reveals humility in me. Why? Because I am not proud of who I was. I am not proud of what I've done. I acknowledge that I am in need. It humbles you to have to ask for help. How many of you like to ask for help? Okay, I got one over here that so says she likes to ask for help. I, I, I have a hard time sometimes asking for help because I think I ought to just be able to figure it out. But when it comes to Jesus, I've got to get to a place where I'm willing to ask for help. Why? Because I can't figure it out on my own. 
Meekness is a genuine revelation of the humble heart. It's not a revelation of weakness, but rather an acknowledgement of dependency upon God. What are the benefits that are afforded to the meek? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In one sense, they inherit the earth right now as a result of putting the kingdom of God first. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. How many, time, how many times have you seen people who were willing to step on the neck of anyone and everyone to accumulate just a little bit more? It seems that even when they gather it all in, there's no happiness, no true joy. Instead, they're miserable with the life that they're trying to grab more of. They're willing to inflict pain in others to, as long as the end result betters their position. They may use the terminology like, it's just business. But business that inflicts pain on others is not the kind of business I want to be a part of. Meekness is someone who'd rather take the pain than ever hurt another. And Jesus said that gentle spirit is one day going to inherit the earth. So whether you get yours now or you get it in eternity, when you respond with a gentle and meek spirit, you are laying up an inheritance that will far surpass anything you could accumulate on your own. I want to inherit that, don't you? Amen. Another characteristic of kingdom citizens is they're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Those that are truly in the kingdom look for the righteousness that will meet their personal spiritual bankruptcy. They will satisfy their mourning over their spiritual bankrupt condition by being hungry and thirsty for righteousness. They are hungry for right living and satisfy their empty souls by changing, becoming right. They hunger and thirst are, are some of their, the hu hunger and thirst are some of our most basic necessities. We have to eat to survive. We have to drink to survive. Those, are the, those that are citizens of the kingdom of heaven have come to a place that they realize that without Jesus, the king of our kingdom, we cannot survive. To hunger and thirst seems to indicate a desperation, a realization that on my own I will starve, but I'm searching for the righteousness of God that will meet my desperate need, that will satisfy my impoverished spiritual condition. David said in Psalm 42 and 1, as the deer pants for water. So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? It, it indicates a man who is searching. Where can I go? I got to find him. My soul is panting after him. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've attained this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Notice the desperation. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Are you truly hungering and thirsting after righteousness today? In order to do so, you've got to first recognize that you are empty, you are broken, you need to be fixed. You must find humility in order to truly find a hunger for righteousness. If you're truly hungry and thirsty, what are the benefits? The Bible says, blessed are the hunger, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you're really hungry for righteousness, you're going to be filled with the righteousness of God which we all desperately need. I don't know about you, but there is no way possible I could live right by myself. Maybe there's a few people that get it right, but me, I would mess up every time. It's not within me. You know why? Because I know who I am. I am a human being. I am bound by selfish motives and desires that are not pleasing to God. I don't have the capacity on my own to live righteously. And so I've got a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because if I'm hungry and thirsty for it, I will be filled. And that means I'll live different. I'll walk different. I'll act different. I'll do different. I won't be the man I used to be. I'll be the man he wants me to be. Why? Because I'm becoming more like him as I embed, embed his righteousness into my life. If you're really hungry for righteousness, you'll be filled with the righteousness of God. We can receive that righteousness right now through the precious blood of Jesus Christ being applied to our life. Come hungry. Come thirsty. Your desire for his righteousness will be filled. When your pursuit is for him, when your desire is toward him, when you, hunger, when you hunger is for more of Christ, your desire for him will be met by an overwhelming love for you and you will be filled with the ability to live right 
righteousness, which means right living for Jesus. Another characteristic of those in the kingdom is that they are merciful. What does it mean to be merciful? It means that you're loving toward those in misery. The story of the Good Samaritan is a perfect example of that. It means you possess a forgiving spirit toward those who might sin against you or against God. Jesus had that same spirit toward those who crucified him. Think about it. Luke chapter 23, the Bible says, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. He's literally being crucified, and he's asking God to forgive them. Stephen, in the book of Acts, literally looking up at people with rocks in their hands that are hurling them at them, says he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he, he died. Jesus stressed that quality throughout his teaching. During the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. In his parables, Luke 6, 37, Jesus said, judge not and you'll not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, I've done it myself. I've heard people in the pulpit, especially during offering time, focus on the give and it'll be given to you, right? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And so we have this picture in our mind, if I give generously, man, there's a truckload backing up into my driveway when I get home, right? I give sparingly, I might only get a tea, teaspoonful, you know? That's kind of how we look at it. And, 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 and it's, it's not wrong, it's accurate. That's what the scripture says. But the good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over, being put into your bosom, the way, measure you use, it'll be measured back to you, doesn't just apply to the giving. It applies to the judgment and the condemnation and to the forgiveness just as much as it does the giving. Do you show mercy when given opportunity to kick someone who's down? Do you do it or do you reach down and help them up? Blessed are the merciful. When you forgive, much, much of you is going to be forgiven. Blessed are the merciful. What's the benefit? Matthew 5 and 7. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. How you share it is how it's coming back. How you extend the mercy of God is how the mercy of God will be extended to you. God's mercies are renewed every morning, the Bible tells us. We must learn how to be merciful to those who need it most. Why? Because I don't want God's storehouse of mercy to ever get there and it be closed to me. Because I wasn't willing to show mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And if I'm not willing to show it, I certainly can't ask God for it. For our extension of mercy, we receive the blessing of God's mercy on us. I remember a time when we desperately needed mercy in, in our lives. I'd made some mistakes in our business, had far-reaching effects, and I was desperate for someone to extend a hand of mercy to us. I had plenty of people kicking me when I was down. I had plenty of others who thought it best just to ignore me and walk on by. But there were a few who came into my life and they poured the oil of mercy over my wounded condition. And without them, I might still be lying by the side of the road. Because they showed mercy. It gave me a desire to be merciful and to share mercy with others. Because I never want to be in a place where I need it again. But if I am, I certainly don't want it to be denied to me because I was unwilling to be merciful to others. Blessed are the merciful, they will obtain mercy. Another characteristic is that citizens of his kingdom are pure in heart. Being pure in heart is defined as singleness of heart, an honesty which has no hidden motive, no selfish interest, and is true and open in all things. James says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But the pure in heart has a singleness of heart. They're not, they're not waffling between their own ambition and what God wants. Paul said, let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in everything consider others above yourself. It refers to one who is sincere, honest, without hypocrisy, 
We must be pure in heart, have sincerity, honesty, no impure motives, no selfish interest. Psalm 24, 3 and 4 says, Who can climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. We're called upon to have pureness of heart. We're called upon to be cleansed of our heart, remove those things that are about us, more of him, less of me. Can you say amen? The benefit of a pure heart, blessed with a pure in heart, for they will see God. <laughs> you ever met somebody who just seems so pure, like you just, you see them and they just have such a purity about them. They, they, you just can't imagine them ever thinking anything negative or bad. Sometimes it's some of the most simple people in our world that are the most pure. Have you ever noticed that? Those who are pure in heart, I believe they see God every day in a million different ways as his handiwork unfolds in their life. It could be in a sunrise or a bird's chirp at the bird feeder outside the breakfast window. It could be in the smile of a newborn baby or a toothless old man. It could be in a hospital room or a homeless shelter. Everywhere that selfless, sincere acts of kindness take place, those that are pure in heart will see God. And eventually, I believe the pure in heart see him face to face. Because by making our hearts pure, we entitle ourselves to the opportunity to be made into his image so that we can see him face to face one day. Another characteristic of citizens of the kingdom is they are peacemakers. They devote their life to bringing about peace because they pattern themselves after the prince of peace. They make every effort to be at peace with all men. Romans chapter 12 verse 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Most of us would like that verse to say, if your best friend is hungry... Take him to Chick-fil-A. Doesn't say that. It says if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. <laughs> if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, everybody says on me. You need to live at peace with everybody. There's some people walk around with a chip on their shoulder waiting for somebody to knock it off. That is not a citizen of the kingdom. <laughs> if it's possible, as long as it depends on you, your part of the mess ought to always be to live at peace with everybody. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. Now, I'm not saying you got to buy him a filet mignon. You might make hamburger helper. But if he's hungry... Feed him. If he's thirsty, find him some water. Why? Because you know what is going to happen? I don't know anybody. If I'm hungry and you feed me, I don't care how mad I was at you five minutes ago. You, you just heaped coals of fire on my head. Why? You made me feel so guilty for being angry at you. All of a sudden, peace is going to invade. The benefits of being a peacemaker, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Thought about this in between services. So many times, I think the reason why people can find ways to be at peace with God is because they recognize God did for them. When they were an enemy of God, he did it for them anyway. Yes, this person, I might not like them. But man, providing for their needs, hunger, thirsty. It puts me in a place where peace can develop. Same thing happens with us and God. And that's why I think peacemakers become known as the children of God. Why? They're emulating their daddy. Because he does for those that are enemies to him what they could not do for themselves. He died for them when they were far from him. When there was enmity or division between them and him, he died for them anyway so they could be brought into relationship with him and made peace with him. 1 John 3 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are. 
The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but what we know, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Over time, we're developing something here, folks. We are building a life that's going to emulate Jesus Christ to the point that we look like our daddy. Final characteristic we'll talk about today is they are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The idea is this verse, in this verse is that in the face of adversity and persecution, they did not flee from it, but they willingly submitted themselves to the cause of Christ in spite of opposition. Now, we live in a world today where this seems a whole lot more possible than it has in the past, doesn't it? Verse 11 gives us more insight into this persecution. Matthew 5, we'll start at verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus says sometimes you're going to be reviled, rebuked, reproached. Sometimes you'll be persecuted. Sometimes you might be lied about, slandered about. And all of it will not be because of you. A lot of times we have a tendency when people attack us or people say something about us, we take it very personal. <clears throat> and if they're attacking you personally, maybe you should. But most of the time, particularly for citizens of the kingdom of heaven, what they're fighting against, what they're talking against, is the fact that your life is emulating something that they are not a part of. Their kingdom is in clash with your kingdom. You are establishing a kingdom on the earth that's going to last forever, and their kingdom is going to pass away. And so in establishing that kingdom, you're naturally going to clash. And when those clashes happen, they're going to say some things that are not exactly sometimes the most friendly. And guess what? They're not saying them about you. Rather, they're saying them about the king of our kingdom. You are having to endure some things for the cause of Christ. Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. They're saying them not against you, but they're against him. He got your back. And if you're truly a citizen of the kingdom, sometimes you're going to have to endure some things for the cause of Christ. Acts chapter 14, verse 21, it says, They preached the gospel in that city. They won a large number of disciples, referring to the apostles. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. <laughs> Philippians 1.29, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Paul called it a privilege. 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I don't mean to bring it on a down note here, but there's going to be some things we're going to have to go through. And you know what? It's okay. Because if you've been developing your relationship with God and you've been growing in God, you're going to be able to handle it because God is in you, he's guiding you, he's leading you, and he will give you what you need to get through whatever we got to face. The benefit of suffering persecution is yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to notice something. The same benefit that Jesus started the Beatitudes with, he ends them with. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, typically when I've heard teaching on the Beatitudes, it's been on each individual statement. And you could literally teach entire lessons on each individual statement of the Beatitudes. But Jesus taught them as a group. And I believe there is meaning in them as a group. If you are truly a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, these are characteristics that need to be in your life. I want you to notice how these characteristics build on each other, almost as if they progress as you grow in God. They are poor in spirit, a realization of their spiritual poverty, their sinful condition. They mourn over their sinful condition and their separation from God. Thus they are meek, not weak, but gentle toward God and others because they realize they cannot get out of their condition on their own and humility is developed in their life because they need a savior. Thus they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They recognize their desperation and their need for God's righteousness because their own righteousness is as filthy rags. They are merciful, recognizing God's mercy that's been granted to them in their lives. They learn to show mercy to others. 
They are pure in heart, desiring to please God in purity and sincerity. They begin to desire his mind, his motives. They decrease so that he might increase. Then they become peacemakers. They make peace with others because they've discovered peace with God for themselves. And then they will be persecuted for the kingdom of heaven's sake. They are many times misunderstood by the proud and the arrogant who are still in their sin and have yet to recognize their own spiritual condition. While there are eight characteristics, I believe they really are eight steps of a growing Christian, eight steps that occur in the life of every citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And as they do, we receive blessings in our life as a result of it. Because blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They enter into this amazing kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin because God will come and grant forgiveness as they repent and comfort them in that moment. Blessed are those who are meek in how they relate to God and man, for they inherit the earth. There's something powerful about seeing somebody who's humble. Why? Because he's not puffed up and proud, and God honors that and blesses it. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. They will be filled with the righteousness of God. Blessed are those that show mercy to others, for they then will obtain mercy as well based upon the way they show it. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Blessed are those who make peace. They are made to be the sons of God. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for the sake of his righteousness. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. I'm so thankful to be a part of the kingdom. I'm so thankful that I'm not all the way there yet, but I'm growing and I'm striving every day to become more and more like him. And as I move forward in the progress, I notice changes in me and things in me that are different today than they were yesterday. Because I'm allowing his presence to work in me and allowing his kingdom to grow in me and allowing me to become more like him. If the musicians would come, I have a question for you today. Are you a member of the kingdom? Are you striving to progress in your walk with God? Have you recognized your spiritual condition? Did you sorrow over it and move to repentance? Did it cause you to respond in humility to the saving power of Christ? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Having received his mercy in your life, do you show mercy to others? Is your heart pure with selfless acts of kindness to others? Do you strive to make peace with others? In spite of persecution from family, friends, and people around the world, do you, you realize that his righteousness is alive in you and you walk in the newness of life in Christ Jesus in spite of what others may say? For those who choose to allow these traits to be at work in their life, the kingdom of heaven is the reward of the righteous. We have the privilege of walking in the kingdom of God, being a part of his kingdom. Always, forever, it doesn't ever change. His kingdom will last forever. I'm so thankful to be a part of that kingdom. Can you say amen? amen. If you'd all stand with me, they're getting ready to play. And as they do, I want us to consider today where we are. If you think of those as eight steps, are they all working in your life? Do you see all of them at work? Are there some things that maybe you still need to work on? Maybe you, you do recognize your condition and you do recognize where you are and you've mourned over it, you've repented, you've turned from sinful ways. Maybe you've hungered and thirst for righteousness and God has filled you with righteousness and you're striving to live right. But that merciful one, you're just not there yet. Or, I don't always have a pure heart. Maybe, maybe you're just not as meek as what you should be. Maybe you're struggling with pride. Thought about this in between services as well. There was a time, probably 13 years ago, I guess. A lot of things were going wrong in my life, and uh, I couldn't figure out why. I was praying, talking to God. And uh, I remember just crying over my life and uh, questioning God. I've served you my whole life. I didn't live in sin. I don't understand why. Kind of like that Pharisee, you know. I'm not like the tax collector. I'm not like that one. You know, that whole thing. I remember praying and just angry with God and mad at God. And I remember him looking at, I, I remember sitting there. I was laying in the floor in my office just crying. I cried a puddle in the floor. And I remember hearing a voice just as clear as I'm talking to you right now. I don't know if it was audible or not. I doubt it because Davina would have heard it. But it was pretty loud in my head. And I heard, 
you know what your problem is, is you got too much pride. <laughs> I was like, me? Proud? What are you talking about? I'm on the floor. God, I'm humble. And he was like, yeah, but you're more worried about what everybody else thinks of you than, I, than you're worried about what I think of you. And it was so revelational in that moment for me. And I recognized that I had to be humbled. I had to come off my high horse. And I had to acknowledge that I needed him more than I needed anything in life. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're going through a tough time and you don't know how to fix it and you don't know where to turn. We serve a God today who stands ready, willing, and able. If you'll acknowledge your condition, he will open his arms to you. He will say, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come unto me. You can drink of the waters of life freely. You can find rest for your soul in the presence of the king of our kingdom. But we got to start by acknowledging our need for him and humbling ourselves enough to say, I'm in need and I'm desperate for you. And in so doing, I open myself up to the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. And so I want to open this altar as they begin to sing today. Wherever you are, maybe you're all, you got it all and the only thing you're struggling with is Somebody told you at work they didn't like the fact that you can't work on Sunday because you go to church and you're mad at them and there's some struggle there. Okay, they're persecuting you. They're not doing it because of you. They're doing it because of Jesus. Let's pray it through and work on, all right? Wherever you are on, that, on that, that level, just find a place to recognize that God wants you to go to the next step wherever you are and grow in Him today. If you're here today and you need to begin that process, there are people that will pray with you. Just come down to this altar and they will connect with you and pray with you and help you to begin your connection to Jesus. But they're going to sing, and as they do, would you come? And a thousand generations And your family And your children And their children And their children May His favor be upon you And a thousand generations and your family, and your children, and their children, and their children. His favor be upon you, and a thousand generations. And your family, and your children, and their children, and their children. May His presence go before you, and behind you, and beside you, all around you, and within
really powerful about knowing God is for us. I said this to start my message today. And I believe it so strongly. There's something powerful about knowing that God approves of you. That his favor is for you. I, I love the fact that the Bible paints a picture of him as father and we as his children. I remember as a child, my dad, he's still back there somewhere, I think. Uh, he uh, always had a way of giving you a look. And you knew whether he was proud of you or you better straighten up. And uh, sometimes the look where you need to straighten up was followed by, you know, some corrective measures. But if he was proud of you, the look he would give you as a kid just made you realize that dad approved. Dad was thankful. I remember getting a good hit on the baseball field and coming off the field and looking for him to give me that look, you know, that I'm proud of you, son. And uh, I don't know about you, but that's how I want God to look at me. To give me that nod that says, I'm proud. I want God to have that in me, not for spiritual pride, not to be puffed up, but just to know that I'm pleasing him. Because if I've got close enough to him that he can show me that he's pleased with me, then when I'm wrong, he can correct me. He can give me the look that says you need to straighten up. But when I'm right, he can affirm me to allow me to live closer and more in his vein. That's why it says the peacemakers will be, their blessing was to be the children of God. Those that are striving to live at peace, they get to be called the child of God. Because God, that relationship of a father to a child, is such a precious thing for the development of each and every one of us. And that's what God wants for you. He wants you to grow to a place that you have such a knit relationship with Him that you know when you're right and you know when you're wrong based on the approval of your Father, the favor of your Father. There's something powerful about knowing He's with you, He's for you, and He looks at you with favor. I want to live that way, don't you? I think those are true blessings of being in the kingdom is knowing that I can have those from my Father in heaven. Can you say amen? One more time, let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence. I thank you, God, that you're drawing us to a relationship with you where we recognize, God, that we are in need of you. And in need of you, God, you speak to our very core of our essence, God, and you are able to meet the very needs that we come into contact with you with. Lord, the, the things that are causing us to be in deficit, God, the things that cause us to not be able to attain a level of righteousness, you fill us with everything that we need so that we can. God, I thank you, Lord, that we can live right and live according to your word and your precepts. Help us, Lord, to walk in favor and faith and trust you in all things. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. Hey, thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also, take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.